This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. The 2024 election is now well underway and to help us in our fight to keep the White House and the Senate and flip the House Indivisible is officially launching Project 2024 Majority Over MAGA, a nationwide program to build a new Democratic trifecta, reelect President Biden and mobilize a majority against the forces of MAGA. And joining us now to talk about it is Indivisible's political director, Danny Negretti. Danny, such a pleasure. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really great to be on with both of you. Well, we're very happy to have you here. And, you know, I know that most people listening know how important this election is, but I'm just curious from your standpoint and perspective, you can just frame it a little bit for us. Lay out the stakes of this election uh, in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we all remember what it felt like to wake up on November 9th of 2016. We were mortified. There was a lot of heartbreak. We were mournful about the amount of work that we had put in and all the progress that was about to be unwound by the incoming Republican trifecta. It was terrifying. But we should also think about the situation that we were looking at that year. The Supreme Court was split 4-4. Republicans did have a congressional majority, but Donald Trump hadn't really completed his total remake of the party just yet. Um, And his allies and him did not actually expect to win that election. They were totally unprepared to enact their agenda when they took office. We saw they were disorganized, uh, just unready to govern. But now flash forward to this year. Um, The Venn diagram of the Republican Party and MAGA is a perfect circle. There is no exception there. Um, The Supreme Court has a 6-3 conservative majority now. And Donald Trump's allies have already prepared that 900-page manifesto outlining their intentions to remake the federal government as soon as he takes inauguration at noon uh, on that day. This is Project 2025 you're talking about. Yes, Project 2025. It's uh, it's, uh, the heritage foundation and and a large collection of the conservative influence network uh, that has been built around Trump. They are committed to, on day one, begin purging the federal government of anybody who might not enact Donald Trump's very authoritarian um, uh, approach to governing. And so given all of that, we can very well expect that if Trump and Republicans do manage to win this November. It's not just going to be a replay of 2017 to 2020. It's that would be bad enough on its own. It's going to be way, way more dangerous for everyone who cares about democracy. And everything's going to be on the line. It's going to be our elections, our votes as individuals, our bodily autonomy, uh, you know, not just abortion, but we've already seen um, out of Alabama this week the um, uh, moratorium on uh, IVF. Uh, it's uh, they're going to go after First Amendment rights, freedom of association and freedom to protest. All of it is on the line. And and even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of how terrifying that is, we also have a really clear contrast to what a Democratic win can offer um, in 20, uh, 2024. It's not just all the terrible things that we want to avoid with a uh, Republican trifecta. We have a Democratic Party now that has overseen one of the greatest economic comebacks in the world um, coming out of uh, COVID. Uh, They are heavily invested in labor rights and reproductive rights. Uh, Many uh, Democratic candidates have committed to 
prioritizing uh, uh, the restoration of reproductive rights as the first act of Congress when they get back. Um, and we have leaders and con candidates who have uh, really committed not only to protect democracy, but to expand it by breaking down barriers to voting and eliminating the filibuster. So it is a contrast that cannot be overstated at this point um, between the dangers that we face with a potential Republican win and uh, the potential, uh, you know, progress that can be made with a Democratic victory this November. It's its truly staggering uh, just how, yeah. how uh, uh, tangible those uh, stakes can be. Yeah, I mean, thank you for, for laying that out so beautifully. I mean, the contrast, as you say, is so clear. And it's so important to remind folks that this is not going to be a repeat of the first Trump uh, term. This is going to be far, far worse because, as you say, they're far more organized, far more focused. And on our side, there's so much more that can be done. And you're talking about the twin uh, uh, issues that Indivisible is advocating, focusing on, which is abortion and democracy here. What if you could talk a little bit about why uh, those two issues? in particular of all the things that you just laid out. I mean, we certainly know that abortion issues stem the tide in 2022. Uh, as you mentioned, they're still current with the Alabama Supreme Court ruling. So talk about why you can, why you believe that we can win with abortion and democracy. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think we've seen a lot of polls <laughs> over the past couple of years that have not been uh, very reassuring when we're looking at um, you know how Democrats are, are are viewed largely, how particular candidates are viewed. But that being said, we continue to see really promising uh, polls on these particular issues. People care about their bodily autonomy. They care about the access that they might have to abortion, and they care about their ability to actually go out and vote. Now, we know that that's uh, not always what is mobilizing voters right now. There's a big conversation that's focused around immigration. Republicans want to keep the conversation focused there. And so when we see these dynamics play out, we have to understand that they're picking their most advantageous battlefield. And we have to be fighting on ours as consistently as we possibly can. And for that, if, uh, for that purpose, our preferred battlefield, the one that we know we can win on, is MAGA extremism on immigration, so on um, uh, democracy and abortion. Now, like you were saying, the, the Dobbs decision did change everything. It's the first time in decades that I think any one of us woke up and knew for sure that we had fewer rights that day than we did the day before. And the reality is that Republicans, despite seeing that this is not popular, um, they haven't stopped their effort to go further. They're in almost a spiral where they can't stop themselves because they're, you know, that the dog that caught the car on this right. issue. Um, and so, you know, we, we mentioned it already, but the Alabama, Alabama court blocking IVF in the state is a great example where it's not just reaching people who have already been, uh, you know, uh, very oriented around the issue of abortion and what it looks like to access abortion, but it's people who, you know, never even considered that as a, uh, an issue that would impact them, but they want kids. They actually want to be able to engage in these very common accepted procedures. And now they see Republicans reaching into their lives proactively and it, it trying to be invasive in a way that's not just unpopular, but it's actually repulsive to many voters. And if we can keep that at the front of their minds going into November, we will see voters mobilized by that. I mean, we've seen it again and again 
in seven different states uh, since the Dobbs decision, where we had seven consecutive wins for abortion rights on ballots in states like Kansas and Ohio. Like that is shocking. Um, but it's because voters are being mobilized by issues more so than candidates at this point. Um, Republicans are very reliant on their one candidate <laughs> to, to, to bring people yeah. out. Um, but we have a broad coalition of folks who, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Democrats who come out every year and are, are uh, you know, strong blue voters and then other people who might be independents or who might be occasional voters who care about the issue because that's more important to them than the individual candidates who are on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is a unifying issue. And then in terms of democracy, we've seen kind of up and down polling on how democracy works in our favor. So I'm wondering why uh, Indivisible is specifically advocating that we put that messaging, uh, you know, front and center. Yeah. So, look, it, voters are not often moved by big, broad ideas like democracy. If you are going to a, a, a voter's door and say democracy's on the line or justice is on the line, that doesn't typically land for them. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of much more closer to home issues that they're concerned about day to day. But people also understand when their voice is being threatened when their vote is being taken away they feel that in a much more real way and january 6th was a as clear a representation of that as you can get um it's uh, it feels like it's been forever <laughs> ago now like that's a you know part of history but it was actually is it was so recent and that sticks with people those images are burned into so many people's minds and we can't let those moments just pass into history and fade from memory because we do know that that threat is still there it's still realistic and you know it, it's true that when you call voters and you ask them for their opinion on, um, you know, democracy generally, whether or not they're prioritizing that as an issue to vote on, they might say, no, these other things are more important. But when you ask uh, whether or not they agree with Donald Trump's big lie or whether or not they care about their own ability to vote, uh, they're very clear on that. Um, and so, you know, the the big broad issue doesn't always show up in these numbers, but the the specific ways that it impacts people and the actual policies that they want to achieve through their vote does matter. Yeah. And of course, we know just how much questions really matter and the phrasing of questions matter in polling. So Indivisible is laying out four strategies for winning. I would love to unpack these with you. OK, so first is pulling in of, of community voices. So you say that because Biden's numbers are low, we're going to need to rely on trusted members of the community to support here. So specifically, when you say that, which community members are we referring to? And then what are we asking them to do? Yeah. So, I mean, Indivisible is so lucky in that we have such a broad variety of people across this network. And they're, you know, the, the thing that actually makes this network so powerful and so scary to MAGA Republicans and the reason we've been attacked, uh, you know, uh, here and there by MAGA Republicans is because it's a movement of normal people who want <laughs> mostly normal. I love things. that. A movement of normal people. That's that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, a absolutely. And so it's, you know, folks that you see when you're dropping off your kids that you are familiar with. It's people who work at the library or people who volunteer to, you know, uh, work elections and uh, people who you see at the grocery store. Those are the folks who we want to position as these community voices, the folks who might be involved in your local PTA um, or, you know, business association, because 
Those are folks who you know care about your community more so than the national political sway or, you know, the candidates at the top of the ticket. They care about who their neighbors are and whether or not their neighbors are doing well. They care enough to show up to local community meetings and town halls. Um, we have people who are very engaged and very visible across uh, all of their personal communities, whether they're engaged in just indivisible or their local Democratic Party or, you know, move on and swing left and all of these other great organizations that they're interconnected with. Um, and those connections, those community connections are really the thing that makes them a lot more uh, believable than a commercial coming on TV that they know was somebody spent millions of dollars on to produce and place somebody who doesn't live in the community, um, but wants to be delivering a message to members of that community. Um, it's uh, much more efficient, much more effective when it's coming from people uh, who are facing the same same challenges that you are um, and have the same hopes uh, day to day. So I know that you know that there is a legitimate concern that young people and some progressives might be staying home. They're threatening to stay home because of, uh, among other things, uh, anger over Biden's handling of the Gaza conflict. How might we use these you know, community voices to reach these voters? Well, it's, you know, it, again, it's it's put about putting a face to the fights that we're talking about. Uh, again, when we have these, you know, big ideas like democracy, it's hard to mobilize folks around that. It's hard to use that as an angle to overcome some of that anger that people might be feeling, some of the, the disillusionment. But when you're able to go and talk directly to somebody and say, you know, I have a kid in school and I want to make sure that they are, uh, you know, treated equally, that they don't have to worry about who they are when they go to school, that they are not facing, you know, uh, discrimination, when you're personalizing it and you're able to talk about, you know, your own hopes as somebody who, uh, you know, is reliant on, uh, you know, uh, procedures or the, uh, uh, healthcare access, that is a way to actually take it out of these, you know, national conversations that are really rooted in anger and, and discontent and focus on what you can do for your neighbor, what you can do for your friend or somebody who you know that cares a lot about this work. Um, and it, it's really about developing a, uh, you know, a network that it doesn't need a you know big Washington organization or a, a big pack to come in and drop that kind of money that we see from you know APAC or from uh, you know the NRA any of the Republican packs that that uh, drop a lot of money um, that we care enough about the individuals we care enough about their ability to to vote and show up uh, that folks are there in the community to willing to put in the work. So really, yeah, making it local, making it personalized, really having these one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations that, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for quite some time um, with, the, you know, the way that we, we do these deep canvassing and, and really we're, we're listening to, to, to people's concerns. I, I wonder if you could also speak, because I know this is something Indivisible is focused on as well, uh, the so-called double-hater voter. These are the, the, the voters who don't like, or don't profess to like either Trump or Biden. Um, how do you think that we can use the same structure to be able to reach these, you know, so-called double hater voters. Yeah, I mean, it is an unfortunate reality that we're, you know we're in an election cycle once again where we have a couple of his, uh, candidates at the top of the ticket with historically unfavorable number numbers. 
I think uh, 15% of the electorate has uh, dislikes both uh, top of the ticket candidates. That's, uh, you know, even outpacing what we were looking at in 2016 when they said that was historic. Um, we're going to continue to make a his history on this point. And we <laughs> Unfortunately, have to, yeah. Yeah. It, but when we are in a political ecosystem that is this polarized nationally, we have to be able to decouple the act of voting from the candidates who are on the ballot and understand that we vote because we care about our communities, we care about our policy priorities, we care about the people who are, you know, showing up to vote alongside with us. And we have an understanding of what each party represents. And when we have such a big population of the electorate that has these views of the, the top two candidates, we can't spend time trying to argue with them and convince them that, you know, the you know, Joe Biden isn't really that old. You don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah, that is not the the most effective way to spend our time. We have to level with them about the stakes. And like I was saying earlier, the stakes are actually really tangible for a lot of people. Um, we've already seen these, you know, horrifying stories right after the Dobbs decision about people in, uh, you know, across the country, especially that story out of Ohio of, you know, that, you know, young girl who could not get abortion services despite being a victim of rape. And that, you know, it it's real heartbreaking stories that are already occurring. And when people are exclusively focused on the politicians that they don't like, they look right past those stories. So we need to continue to like really orient people around the reality of these policies, what the impacts are and how they're going to end up showing up in our own communities. Uh, you know, whether or not uh, uh, we're bringing in, you know, Donald Trump into that conversation and Joe Biden into that conversation. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, we really want to de-emphasize in, in some ways the candidates and really emphasize the stakes and in particular the ways in which they impact people personally. So Indivisible's second strategy is going to be to focus on the state of Arizona. It is a swing state, so that's important in the presidential election. There's a crucial Senate race, uh, a number of key House races, so it makes a lot of sense. But what, I'll just ask you, what would you like uh, people to be doing who are not in the state of Arizona to to help support here? Yeah, so we're going to have a lot of opportunities this year for volunteers across the country to jump in and kind of adopt Arizona as a really key priority. Because, you know, like we all know, there's a lot to win in Arizona. We've got to elect Ruben Gallego. We've got those two key house races in uh, Arizona, one and six. And then there's 11 electoral college votes uh, that are going to be really key in determining the presidency. So um, we will have phone bank opportunities. We will have opportunities to text and to postcard. But between now and the time that we launch those in, in spring, uh, you know, just yesterday we sent out an email. It was a split fundraiser for us and uh, Ruben Gallego because Carrie Lake is already leaning in on these attacks on Ruben Gallego, talking about, you know, all of those scary you know, MAGA extremist depictions of, of what, uh, you know, Ruben Gallego is going to do in Congress uh, and in the Senate. And we need to make sure that Early on in this race, we are building the strongest grassroots support and resourcing both the network that's going to support him and his campaign to really fight back against uh, Carrie Lake. She's going to get 
so much attention across the country from those Republicans who are really loyal to Donald Trump because she has been such a loyal soldier for him. Mm -hmm. And so the earlier that we can really make this race between her and uh, uh, Ruben very clear, uh, the better off we're going to be come November. Kirsten Cinema has not uh, yet uh, decided whether or not she's going to run. Unclear, uh, you know, how she's going to participate in this. But um, the reality is that she is a, uh, you know, a real weight on uh, the Democrats' ability, not just in Congress, but de the Democrats' ability to currently campaign against uh, uh, Carrie Lake, because we're concerned that there's going to be this, you know, uh, very challenging third candidate on the ballot who doesn't actually represent anything, but she does have an incumbency advantage. Um, and so the more that we can focus the fight between Ruben Gallego and the MAGA extremists uh, that Carrie Lake is leading, the better off we'll be um, early in this fight. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And you know, plenty of opportunities uh, for folks there, as you say. The math for retaking the House is looking uh, quite a bit more favorable. In general, how are you looking at Democrats' chances with the House? Uh, right now, I would say uh, very positively. I'm, you know, uh, extremely superstitious as well. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to jinx gonna, anything by saying that. Yeah. As far as I'm going to go. But I will say uh, the past two year, uh, years of, of MAGA leadership in the House have been a really great example that we can point to of, you know, what MAGA election wins uh, result in. It's been chaotic, to say the least. And I think and not and, and hardly anything has gotten done. So, yes, you know. absolutely. Hardly anything has gotten done. And I think actually New York three is a great example. We just had that special election earlier this month, and it was a, a, a great example for a lot of reasons. First, this was the George Santos uh, special. Exactly. Election. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And George Santos represented so much of what, uh, you know, the MAGA Republican caucus in the House represents, which is um uh, frankly, uh, bullshit. <laughs> Please, <man. laughs> and extremism, even throughout all of that period, he was representing a Biden district, but he was strongly supportive of all of those uh, Trump policies. He did not moderate his uh, you know, positions at all for the electorate that he was representing. And then through all of that, he, uh, you know, was lying to his constituents. He was lying to the national media. He was lying to everyone. And, you know, we came down to a special election last week and Democrats were able to win because we ran, uh, you know, a campaign that was really focused on the stakes. Um, the um, uh, uh, Democratic candidate, Tom Swasey, uh, had a coalition of folks across, uh, you know, the, uh, the spectrum, including, you know, mainstream Democrats, progressives, our local indivisible group there engaged. Long Island was super engaged um, in th that fight. And so uh, we were able to use uh, a lot of the tools that we're going to be using in 2024 in that particular race. And the narratives there are going to be applicable beyond New York 3. Um, and, you know, outside of just what we learned there, we're also looking at some map updates that are going to be really helpful um, going into 2024. New York is still under consideration. There are a few other states where um, we imagine um, there will be some beneficial adjustments to uh, really. Oh, Wisconsin's map. another one, I believe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And thank gosh, 
uh, we won that uh, Supreme Court race er- earlier this year. Um, Janet Protasiewicz, uh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah to help make that a reality. But um, between all of that and understanding that Republicans still have a consistent candidate quality problem in districts like this. Um, You're being are... very kind, Denny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, going back to the George Santos example, of course, right. they, you know, um, uh, they really can pick them. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I think uh, right now we are, are, are uh, feeling uh, positively about the house that being said we have a lot of work to do um uh, because the battle battleground the, those front lines are pretty broad actually right now we have uh, races in california that are going to take a lot of work races in new york uh, a couple of races in washington um uh, that are going to be really important um, all across the country and, and there's going to be uh, a lot of work to do for volunteers everywhere well, you know, I, I know that Indivisible has been very focused on uh, what you refer to as the unrepresentatives. These are, uh, I think you, you, were, you were referencing this, the um, the Republicans in Biden districts. We happen to have a Democrat in, in a pretty red district, uh, Marie Glusenkamp Perez in Washington's third. We're going to be working to keep her seat uh, there. I know that one of the strategies with Indivisible is to partner with these local groups to get the job done. So um, thoughts on this race and some of the work that, that you're going to be doing with local groups. Yeah, so so this is going to be one of the those key races, and so we have uh, you know named Washington Third as one of our our target races this year for national support um, because not only is uh, you know this a, a relatively red district, but again she's going to be facing off against uh, uh, Joe Kemp, uh, who is one of those really uh, uh, extremist. Yeah, MAGA Republicans. Um, and if he were elected, he would be, you know, a ringleader in a Republican majority in the House, um, uh, which we would hate to see. And so uh, uh, when we're thinking about how we want to partner with groups in these districts, we're really thinking about um, uh, how we're delivering uh, support on messaging and how you're going to get that out to voters in in the district. So um, it'll be a combination of working with those groups to um, get out funding uh, for events and uh, voter contact actions. Uh, We have a really great uh, set of programs to help groups uh, engage uh, at all kinds of different levels, whether it's through, um, you know, direct voter contact, hitting the doors or holding events and trying to get press out to those events. Um, we want to make sure that you are equipped with all the resources that you need to be able to do that. Um, we'll also be doing trainings um, for groups to make sure that they are as sharp as they um, you know, can be when they're delivering those messages. And then, um, of course, we've talked about this before, but um, uh, neighbor to neighbor is a new tool that we're really excited to roll out in all of these races um, to, uh, like we were saying, get those community voices in front of and face to face with um, the voters who have to turn out uh, to win. So, yeah, so you're talking about messaging, funding, and yeah, voter contact. I want to ask you about neighbor to neighbor because this is kind of the fourth plank in Indivisible strategy. This is a relational canvassing tool. First, tell us what that means and, and really what makes this tool unique. Yeah, so uh, it, we are going to be talking about neighbor to neighbor a lot because we are just really jazzed about it <laughs> conceptually and, and, and uh, about being able to, to talk more about it. Um, neighbor to neighbor is a tool that Indivisible developed in house back in 2022. We saw that the you know landscape of voter contact was changing pretty significantly, um, 
it's so important to have direct conversations with voters, not just rely on mail or TV, but to actually talk to somebody and have a conversation with them. But we also know that through the pandemic, it got harder uh, to do that. Uh, people didn't want to do face to face conversations because of concerns about distancing. You had to recruit people to do virtual phone banks that are so important. But then come 2022, everybody wanted to be back in person with each other. So getting on the phone was hard. And even when you do phone banks, you know, people have caller ID tools now. There's even bots that will screen calls. So you'll be making calls for a long time and you'll only talk to a few people. And that's really important to still do. It's really important to still do traditional canvassing. But we started working on this tool that gives volunteers a short list of just 10 addresses in their own neighborhood, usually about a mile to five miles away from their own house, um, that they can go to and visit and talk to the voters in that house on their own time. Uh, they get a short script. It's pretty straightforward. It's not a survey. It's just a script. Um, and you don't have to download any apps or, uh, you know, deal with any, you know, reporting paperwork in order to do it. Um, all you do is sign up for it. You get a list of uh, 10 of your neighbors who should be friendly to Democratic voters or might have voted Democrat in the past. And um, then we give it a couple of days. Hopefully you can go have those conversations while you're walking your dog or when you're coming back from school pickup, whatever it might be. Um, and we check in with you uh, via text after a, a few days and just ask if you had a chance to complete your uh, your doors and if you had any reports from those doors, if you wanted to, to give us any feedback from them. And, uh, you know, it it sounds really simple because it is it's it's very uh, straightforward. You know, uh, you can reach most of the people that you're assigned. If you get 10 doors, you've got a couple of days to go hit 10 doors. If you've canvassed before, you've probably gotten a pack of 30 or 50 doors and maybe talked to five people out of those. Um, uh, so it, it provides a little bit more flexibility to hit all of the doors that you're assigned. And it gives you a initial just baseline commonality with the people that you're talking to, which is, hey, I'm your neighbor from like around the corner. I've seen you out walking your dog before. I just wanted to stop by and see if you were planning on voting in this election because I care a lot about X. Um, and I, 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 on top of all of the you know ease of use and community aspects of it, the thing that we're most excited about is that we've actually run some tests on neighbor to neighbor already starting back in 2022. And our initial tests that have been validated by some of our uh, data science partners at the Movement Cooperative um, show that this is potentially more impact, twice as impactful, actually, as traditional canvassing. These conversations have the potential to turn out a, a, a voter at, uh, and make them twice as likely to turn out as a traditional canvassing conversation. Now, is this uh, the outcome ultimately that you're talking about here that 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 you want you you want people to ultimately turn out to vote? Are you doing persuasion? Or are you just doing GOTV? How do, what what ultimately is the outcome here? Yeah, so our focus is GOTV. We really want to make sure that these conversations are easy to have and that they're really simple. We're not equipping folks with a whole uh, like set of scripts to you know respond to a bunch of different issues or to convince folks to vote for a Democrat if they weren't already inclined to. This is really oriented towards that segment of the electorate that it leans Democratic but is at risk of not turning out this year. So that's why we think it's so important that folks in their own community are having those conversations and saying, hey, I'm from around the corner. 
I think this election is really important. I have some some uh, thoughts on the stakes of this race, and I'd love to talk to you for just a moment about it. Um, and we have had incredible uh, responses from the folks who have already used this tool. We used it in a couple of the races in 2022 as just a part of a pilot program. We used it in Wisconsin uh, for uh, Judge Janet Protasewicz's race, in Ohio for the uh, Reproductive uh, Rights Amendment, and then just uh, this month in uh, New York's third district for the special election. And it's uh, just been such an incredible response that we've seen from volunteers so far who have used it um, that we have one of the best things that I hear when we see this is from people who are first time canvassers who say this is really easy and I'm looking forward to doing it again. And especially from people who say, I didn't know that I had so many neighbors that I could talk to about these things. It's great. I just met somebody who moved here who didn't know where our polling location was. Those kinds of, of moments are really what make this so important and magical because it does help build community and is really effective at getting people out to vote. I mean, it just sounds great. Everything you're saying here and certainly the ease of use and lowering the bar all the way down, because you, we know canvassing can be very stressful. It can be very intimidating. And so uh, I, I really like the approach here. How and when will people be using Neighbor to Neighbor this year? So we are going to be launching a pre-registration period uh, to uh, sign up and say, hey, I want to take some doors for this on April 9th. Uh, that's when we'll be going live with pre-registration. Our big intention is to launch this nationwide uh, in early summer, really oriented uh, around a nationwide get out the vote early door knocking campaign um, uh oriented around the Dobbs anniversary. That's on uh, the weekend of June 22nd. And again, the reason for that is because it gives us a good hook to talk to people about the stakes of this race. Um, really talk to your neighbors, remind them what the anniversary is, what it means to actually get out and vote for our priorities this year. And so that's our goal is to do pre-registration in April, launch in June. Um, but we will have some opportunities to do that if you're in Somewhere special this year, which is New Jersey, um, we will be uh, activating neighbor to neighbor for Andy Kim's race, who we just endorsed um, earlier this month as well, um, because we want to make sure that folks are going to have an opportunity to talk to their neighbors there about that race. So you're laying out the the schedule um, thus far, you know, uh, Project 2024 just launched and you're talking about, um, you know, the, really rolling this out sometime in June and the anniversary of Dobbs. Uh, give us a sense of the calendar for the rest of the year. Yeah, so uh, uh, the Dobbs anniversary is really going to be a major moment for us to kick off a lot of our electoral uh, work, uh, you know, having conversations with with voters. Um, leading up to that, we'll be working in those partnership uh, settings with lo the local groups to set out their plans around um, uh, volunteer engagement and uh, voter engagement. Get up to early summer, we have that Dobbs anniversary big launch for um, everyone talking to their neighbors and their vote, uh, you know, uh, fellow voters. As we get through the summer, we're going to be continuing to build uh, towards the convention at the end of summer, that's in August. Uh, we really want to make sure that we are uh, using that as another moment to drive home the stakes of the election. And getting folks out, we'll have a week of action around that time. That's uh, right before uh, Labor Day. Uh, and then 
as we get into October, uh, we'll be really focused on a uh, you know new round of neighbor to neighbor conversations. Hopefully, getting people back out to some of those neighbors that they've already talked to, reminding them like, hey, I was I was here earlier this year. Wanted to just check in with you again about uh, the election. Make sure that you still knew you were going to vote. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, really the goal is to uh, continue building through November. I do believe that we will have probably a moment in September where we look at the races that we are currently targeting. And, uh, you know, as primaries conclude, as we get closer to uh, having a, a clear picture of who the Republican candidates are in all of these uh, key races, we might end up actually adding some targets uh, to our, our list of uh, uh, target races probably, uh, you know, early fall, late summer. It's going to be a lot of work between now and November. Uh, everybody's well aware. You know, we, we've asked a lot of indivisibles over the last seven years. People have always come through. I wonder if you just offer some final words here to, to really motivate people to, to jump into this work that we have to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, these past seven years have been just such an incredible display of the power that again normal people have to make real changes to to really work towards something collectively and we're facing a challenge that feels familiar this year uh, because it is donald trump again it is republicans it's still maga um but i think that more than anyone, indivisibles understand the stakes because we've been in this fight um, since, you know, even before Donald Trump got elected. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, we understand what it takes not just to fight, but to win. And we've done it before. We did it in 2018 with the blue wave um, that so many people were deeply involved in making happen. We did it in 2020, defeating Donald Trump, making him a one term president. Even in 2022, when we stopped the red wave from actually materializing, this is a network that understands not just how to win, but how to carry a win forward with momentum. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to see really challenging stories, really challenging polls between now and November. And the most important thing that I know all indivisibles do is focus on the work and focus on how we as volunteers and as communities can make uh, the vision that we have in our head for the day after the election, the reality that we're going to be living. And uh, I'm really excited to do that with everyone between now and November. I think it's going to be a really uh, fulfilling couple of months, even though uh, it's going to be exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Uh, it's scary, but fulfilling for sure. Yeah. You, you keep coming back to normal people making real change, indivisible, normal people making real change. I, I think some merch uh, is probably <laughs> over. I like that a lot. Uh, Danny Negretti, such a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you very much for having me. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.